Welcome to the e-commerce growth show brought to you by Segmentify. Welcome everyone and uh, hello to another episode of the e-commerce growth show. And today I'm speaking to the co-founder or and CEO of Bloomreach. His name is Raj Dadatta. Hey Raj, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Phil. It's great to be with you here. Yeah, likewise. Thanks for taking some time out from uh, sunny California, right? Indeed. It's it's a little cloudy, but I expect the weather will turn in a few hours here. Yeah, turn turn good. Yeah, turn good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know what it's yeah. like over here, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Turn, turn means something very different, usually yeah. for the world, right? Fair All enough. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so let's start with a little icebreaker, and um, you know, obviously, you know, you've had some vast experience um, in, in your role and in the market uh, that we're in. T tell us some, um, you know, the most valuable lesson you've learned uh, as a as an entrepreneur, businessman, and a family man. Well, look, as a as uh, those are great questions, and as a as an entrepreneur, I've been I've been afflicted with the entrepreneurial disease. I would say uh, since since the age of twenty two, and I'm now forty six. So I've been doing this for twenty four years in some shape or form, and and I think what uh, and this is the third company that I've started, Bloomreach, uh, along the way. And oh, wow. first of all, uh, what happens is as you keep starting companies. At some point, you become fundamentally unemployable. So there's just no choice except to uh, start businesses. But um, you know, if I've learned if I've learned one thing, it really is just it's it's just to keep going. I, I often say to my yeah. own kids, "Didadas never give up." Uh, and it's sort of a trite line, but on the other on the other hand, that really has been the entrepreneurial lesson: is you know, yeah. you just keep at it and keep at it and keep at it. And if you have the persistence, often you outlast most. Yeah. That's awesome. I got a question for you then. What's your take on entrepreneurial, the, the entrepreneurial gift, right? Do you think it's something you're born with or do you think you can learn it? Oh, I think you can certainly learn, learn how to be an entrepreneur, but what you can't learn is the motivation to be an entrepreneur because you right. know, there's in, in many ways it's become a celebrity pursuit where there's all these famous entrepreneurs that, you know, do this and do that. But the reality of it, is that you know 99% of it is a grind and it's incredibly hard and fundamentally irrational to be an entrepreneur so you know only somebody irrational with extraordinary um, desire yeah uh, simply okay. just do it does right. it now and if you then think about how to be successful at it there's a lot to learn about how to go about doing it but often perhaps the best story is when somebody when a, somebody picks up the phone and calls me and it's yeah. usually a friend who's working for some large company a google or a facebook or a or a, a Microsoft, they'll call me and they'll say, "Hey, Raj, I'm thinking about leaving my company and starting a starting a new business and yeah. becoming an entrepreneur." And I will literally say to them, "Call me after you quit," because the number of people that think about becoming entrepreneurs versus the number of people who actually become entrepreneurs is a very different ratio. Yeah, yeah. And what? So why why is that then? Because you're talking about like a certain like you say, there's a lot of grind involved. There's a lot of work, but what what sets it apart then that make, can make it? Because I've often thought about it as well, but never actually done it. Either. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I, th I think you know the the odds are so stacked against you to right. be successful. Yeah. Uh, you know, another another thing I often tell people is that entrepreneurship is like having to win a thousand battles in a row. 
in order to qualify to fight the war. You don't get to you don't get to lose along the way because then you're dead. And yet you you have some grander ambitions that in order to get to you've got to fight a thousand wars, a thousand battles. And so mm -hmm. it's 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 those kinds of odds. That's that's one reason. And you raised the other question, which is about family, and uh, you know a, a less talked about aspect is just the personal sacrifices that are involved are deep uh, right. and, not, yeah. and not free. Uh, yeah. And so, yeah. yeah, I think, I think that's another reason why, why fewer people do it. It's, mm. it's, um, it's just mm. easier to think about and harder to do. No, that's a really good point. I mean, and obviously you mentioned as a family man, you've obviously been able to m multiple times bridge that gap with the sacrifices. Is that, is that just like a, a massively kind of patient, family unit that's helps you in some way how, how does how do you manage that well no doubt um you know and and uh i think the the best decision i made was to be you know unemployed and trying to start a company when when i got married to my wife because she really didn't know any different from the time we met until yeah. now 20 plus years later so in some sense we've never known anything different uh and that but uh but you but I, yeah but i think you know, it, you, without the kind of family unit that is supportive and that understands the ups and downs that come along yeah. with that, not just not just financial ups and downs, but emotional ups and downs that come yeah. along with no, it. It's no, absolutely. Well, I mean, hats off to you. Obviously, some fantastic achievements um, over over the years, and um, and obviously, you know, um, from from our space, from a presentation perspective, uh, there's a great respect for what you're doing. Uh, and it's really great to have you on the show, obviously, you know, um, to kind of break some barriers down a little bit in our market, I think, perhaps. As well. Yeah, you know, I, 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 well, you know, I, I found I respect, that quite refreshing. Um, I, I respect what you all are doing as well. And, and, you know, to my mind, you know, in many ways, we're all in the business of just creating incredible experiences for people. Uh, and so if, you know, if this, yeah. if this quality experience is what you all do, what we, what we do become more and more pervasive. I think we improve the web as a whole, and, and to me, that's more motivating than, than what happens between our respective businesses. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And like you said earlier, I mean, there's there's a big world out there, and there's a lot of different needs, right? So um, it's just a question of really delivering, as you said earlier, I think, on making sure that we're really putting the customer first in every way, which is what everybody wants, right? Um, that's right. Um, so, I mean, m moving on to a kind of a wider topic idea for our chat today, we were talking a little bit earlier about many things but one of the things actually that i'm quite interested in is your take on ai um because sure. i hear it a lot i hear i go out in the market and we talk about machine learning um we talk about personalization um and then we talk about ai and yeah. um um i don't know what, what's what's your take on genuinely what ai is how it sits into the world of personalization machine yeah. learning and, so, and what is going on with all that? Give, give us your take on it all. Absolutely. So, you know, first, by way of background, you know, when I started Bloomreach, which now is over 10 plus years ago, I pulled a team of people yeah. out of Google who had been involved in building the search engine uh, wow. at Google. And, and they, the thesis of Bloomreach in many ways was that, that that quality of AI and machine learning technology that had been applied at places like Google and Facebook, just in many, in many cases to serve ads, ought to be uh, applied to every website and every app in the world to delight 
you know, customers and end users in the process. And so AI has been at the origin story of Bloomreach for going back, you know, 12 years. Um, yeah. And so what I can tell you as a kind of a, a former and poor engineer is that if you just look at it a little bit through a technical lens, the marketing definition of AI and the technical definition of AI are actually quite different. I mean, because technically AI is really a category of technologies yeah. that spans on one side from, you know, with, with kind of, um, machine learning, you know, logistic regressions, things, things of that type, all the way to unsupervised learning and mm -hmm. everything in the middle. And the difference between those two things, the way to think about it is in one case, you're given the rules of the game, you're given a lot of data and machines make sense of it, look at patterns of the past and apply it for the future. In the case of personalization, it might look at similar cohorts of users. It might look at you and your behaviors and it will make sense of those patterns in many ways, a human being could do the same thing if only it could think at massive scale, which of course yeah. we cannot. That that is classically called machine learning. On, yes. on on the other side of it are neural networks and deep learning, and that is, yeah. or in, in in technical speak, often called unsupervised learning. And that is a little bit like the story of AlphaGo and chess, which is for a long time when when machines when AI was playing chess, you would go and give it every chess game in the past and say, hey, now the machine is smart enough, it's seen every game of chess in the past. And so of yeah. course it's gonna be you and that's machine learning. But on the other side, yeah. what if you never gave all the games of chess to the machine? What if you just told the machine, these are the rules of chess. You can move pawns like this, you can move bishops like that, you know, here yeah. are the rules, figure it out. Yeah. That's true AI unsupervised learning. So really we have been on this journey from, yeah. uh, from supervised learning, machine learning, all the way to unsupervised learning and increasingly the newer neural network techniques are making it possible to do the latter so that was a bit of a long technical yeah. answer to my question but it it perhaps demystifies ai for some it certainly has for me that that makes a lot of sense so re really you, you you are saying that taking past information and then using that to predict the future is really machine learning yes whereas there's a whole other world where you've got um, computer intelligence, if you like, which is almost working like a baby with set of tools doing its own journey to understand the world, right? Yes. But, does it, yeah. but obviously does it in an incredibly clever, quick way. Exactly. Do they, um, in our world then, in personalization, do they sit together? Is, 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 is one like doing one thing and machine learning doing another? What, what does what's going on then in, in that sense in terms of AI within personalization? You know, all of the above are being applied from a technique perspective. And so personalization, yeah. I would say in many ways, we saw personalization in real life in the earliest days of Facebook uh, because yeah. Facebook was a news feed. And so, you know, unlike Google, Google was I type a search query in, it crawls the world, it gives me yeah. an answer. And that's yeah. not really personalization in the sense that initially early in the early days of Google, that's not about you. That's just about people searching. Facebook was always, you know, it's my newsfeed. Your newsfeed and my newsfeed are pretty different. So it's by definition personalized. And so they were yeah. earliest to apply these techniques, I would say, to personalization at scale. There were academic literature much before that. But then we started to see that with Netflix. Then we started to see that with Amazon. Then we started to see that with, with more and more, you know, categories. Today, I believe that, that uh, AI and all the variants of it are and can be applied to personalization in a, in, a, in a vast way, because often the truth of the matter is 
if we're going to personalize an experience for you, we actually don't know very much about you. Your yeah. average brand, it's not like they've been following you for years and know everything about you. They have no. to take a small set of data points and the category and make sense of it and then return you know, an, an interesting on-point set of results, content, products, whatever it might be. And so, yeah. you know, AI techniques are critical to delivering, you know, great on-point personalization. Yeah, it's a, it's a very, it sounds a, like quite a complex area, um, yeah. certainly for my, my head to start to understand, you know, when I, I talk to my partners and because obviously, you know, running partnerships segmentify, I, I talk about the platform and how the engines work and how they're collecting data to try and you know, provide the best experience. But when you start talking about AI like that, it's like it fries my brain a bit about how how it sits in the equation, you know. But um, we should definitely talk about that again because I know we've got some other things we'd like to cover. But really yeah. interesting to differentiate those two things. Um, you know, um, one of the other things that we, we talked about earlier was obviously you know, dealing with so many large brands across the world and having been through the pandemic that's still going on, obviously, uh, and we're hopefully coming towards the, uh, you know, a, a, a set, an essence of control of it, you must have seen some incredible things in terms of the, the trends and so on that are going on. I'd love it if the guys who are watching and listening could get a bit of a flavour for what you've seen um, from your perspective in that time. Yeah, well, you know, so we had the good fortune at Bloomreach of powering almost a quarter of e-commerce in the UK and the US. So we saw a lot, uh, mm -hmm. first of all. And maybe the most important thing, which we all know, is that e-commerce in particular, you know, really exploded last year. And we know that, you know, it, it generally we saw about 85 to 100 percent, depending on the category of growth in, in year over year e-commerce after five years of 15 percent year over year growth. So effectively, the the story of five to seven years of e-commerce growth in one year became very real. I think what's been interesting is the sustainability of that. So we've not seen the decreases as stores have started to open up. Indeed, what we've seen is the people that were already doing e-commerce were spending more money on e-commerce. And the people that were not doing e-commerce all that much, perhaps in an older generation, were discovering e-commerce and not going back. And so certain categories, things like groceries, so we work with with people like uh, Ahold in Europe or, or Albertsons and Safeway in the US, grocery yeah. saw several hundred percent growth because grocery was a category that lagged you know, many other categories in terms of, of, of e-commerce. We saw the same thing among autos and auto, uh, and auto parts. Uh, and so there's certain categories that started to leap forward that were historically lagging categories. Right. We saw other categories like apparel, which have always been you know, and we we work with people like Next in, in the UK or Gap in the US and Banana Republic. And what we've seen in apparel is, is that there was almost a shift in what people were buying. You know, people were in the middle of the pandemic buying loungewear and and and, uh, and things of that type, and maybe buying, you know, the people, there were fewer people buying men's suits, you know, to go out as you would expect. And so there was a shift in the nature of what people were buying in the first place. Yeah. You know, and the final thing I'll, I'll just, I'll just mention is that there were some surprising things. So we, we all know the stories of certain essentials, toilet paper and uh, eggs and things of that type that flew off the shelf and, and ran out in the early days of the pandemic. But there were also things like, uh, you know, an example that surprised me is jewelry. And we have a number yeah. of customers in yeah. the jewelry area. And, yeah. and I would have thought people are not going out, people are not buying jewelry. But instead yeah. what we saw was that, was that, you know, because I could not attend 
you know, I couldn't mm -hmm. take uh, my date out for Valentine's or, or attend a wedding, you know, of a, of a close family friend because I couldn't go out and, and attend those things. Instead, what I was doing is sending jewelry. Mm -hmm. And so certain categories grew unexpectedly, I would say, during the pandemic yeah. as well. Yeah, no, definitely. I am. Um... I'm quite a, I'm quite a keen follower of the stock exchanges and stuff, and uh, I totally uh, I was I was amazed. Like I was I was I got there was an update from Watches of Switzerland Group, right? And I thought and I thought, okay, well, clearly people aren't buying watches, right? Um, absolutely unbelievable growth, you know. Exactly. Um, exactly. And then I was you know he hearing hearing, uh, you know, updates from Next about how they're expanding their, you know, product sets out yeah. of what they're doing into, you know, DIY and building garden centers in their stores and stuff. Pretty, pretty incredible kind of, you know, stuff going on. I mean, what, what is your take? I know this might be a bit of a basic question. Your experience with big brands that didn't make it in terms of the digitization world if you like versus the ones that have so let's say for example you know your debenhams versus your um your asos or your even your next actually in terms of some of the like for like lots of bricks and mortar presence um yeah. what was what's your take on the ones that 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 survived and thrived and the ones that didn't yeah i think i think that retail has been through just an extraordinary cataclysmic mm. transformation over this last several years and and um you know there were two questions i think that that people would ask me almost regularly from every one of these brands one is what you asked which is you know why do why do some make it and why do some not and then the mm. second question became well the ones that do make it in digital and really make it big how do they win in digital? But let's start with digital versus sort of stores to begin with. I think the the, the, the people who the people, the people who understood it understood that digital is the business, uh, and digital is not the sideshow that I run a business on the side and it does its thing. And I continue to be in the retail business, the store business, as I have been for a hundred years. And okay, I've got this digital business unit off to the side doing its thing. Those people don't make it because fundamentally that's not how shoppers think. That would be a little bit like you and I getting up in the, in the middle of the day and saying, you know, on Monday we shop digitally, but on Tuesday through, through Sunday, we shop in stores that, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So businesses that ran their businesses in that way, ultimately, you know, don't work because the consumer has changed so profoundly that if, if you don't simply say digital is the business, and actually the store is a fulfillment vehicle, the store is a marketing vehicle, et cetera, and manage accordingly, it, it, it fundamentally you know, doesn't, doesn't work at all, I, I, I think. And mm -hmm. you know, what I believe is that retailers of the future are either marketplaces or brands. It, the, mm -hmm. the usual business model of I buy other people's products, I stock them on shelves and people come in the door and they buy them. Well, now the internet has made you know, uh, the ability to shop anywhere really, really one click away. And so therefore, I either have to become like Amazon or Walmart or yeah. Next, which is more of a marketplace with large selection online, or I have to become a brand that people love, that people yeah. have affinity to, people have loyalty to. And if I don't pick between those directions, then I get stuck yeah. in the middle. 
And that that has happened to to lots of the Debenhams of the world um, in 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 that process. That that is that's really interesting. Actually, I've got a question related to that. So, is when you mention brand or marketplace, are you seeing then the growth of marketplaces outside of Amazon across the world? I've noticed it. I know, I know people. I think I had a chat to Storsom, uh, Graham, last week actually, and um, yeah. he was saying, "Look, it's already done, mate. It's already there." You know. But have you have you seen that as well? Is it is there going to be this kind of insurgence of marketplaces, kind of outside of Amazon, as as well as the brands? Without question. I mean, now I think. Uh, on the marketplace side, we're seeing specialty marketplaces of all types. You know, you yeah. can imagine auto marketplace. You can imagine a grocery marketplace. You can imagine a, you know, if you take somebody like Etsy, they are a marketplace for all kinds of knickknacks that are are possible. So, yes, absolutely. I think we're seeing marketplaces extend beyond Amazon and Walmart and Alibaba uh, yeah. and and folks of that type. Now. There's only so many of them because you've got to have extraordinary scale to operate a marketplace. Farfetch in the UK would be another yeah, example yeah, uh, yeah. of marketplace. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're seeing we're seeing marketplace growth, but you're you're never going to get thousands of marketplaces. You will get hundreds of marketplaces because right. you do need a, you know significant scale. But we yeah. will have more than Amazon and Walmart and Alibaba, you know, mm -hmm. for sure uh, in that yeah. process. What we will have is hundreds of thousands of brands going online, and we see this with Shopify. So when Shopify, you know, when the Shopify ecosystem, which now has more than a million brands on it, and wow. even hundreds of thousands that are on Shopify Plus, which means they have a certain level of scale as well, yeah. that is just exploding where brands are saying, I used to sell through a retailer, now I sell direct online. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's very interesting what, what's going on at the moment. I mean, just... Um, you mentioned earlier about the customer, actually, and we were talking previously about your your book that you that you that you've just completed. Um, and, and in that book, you, you talk about um, the difference between a seeker and a customer. Could, yeah. could you explain to the guys about the book and you know the background, sure. what you mean by by that? Sure. So you know, I wrote the book because people people said, "Hey, Raj, you're investing in Silicon Valley startups on one side and seeing all these brands win big." Tell yeah. me why the winners win in a really big way, in digital specifically. Yeah. And so, you know, as I did my research, and I probably spoke to over 100 um, brands, you know, uh, systems integrators, startups, uh, you know, all kinds of folks, what became really clear is that if you do not redefine who your customer is digitally, then you actually never succeed. And, and that led me to the dis distinction between the seeker and the customer. So let's use an example to make it really practical. Imagine that you're, you're, you're booking a family vacation. And yeah. so what do you do with, when you're booking a family vacation? Well, you go and you say, well, I'm, where am I traveling? I'm gonna do some research. I need a rental car. I need a flight. I need a hotel. I'm gonna pick some restaurants. I need some tour ex excursions. So effectively, I created a digital to-do list of all the things I'm going to go do to book that vacation. I'm actually a customer of the rental car company, of the hotel, of the flight. I'm actually a customer of probably 20 services that mm -hmm. are involved in that vacation. But I'm just a seeker of a memorable family vacation. Right. So the, the customer is a customer of individual transactional pieces that come together. The seeker is the underlying motivation for that transaction in the first place. 
yes. uh, which is I want a memorable family vacation. And yeah. it turns out that the best digital experiences build for the seeker, the underlying motivation, not for the customer, the transactional entity that's coming to me. Yeah. We've all been spoiled by Amazon and think that we need to build Amazon, but, in, but Amazon is one kind of uh, e-commerce kind of activity. But if we take you know examples just to just to see where people have done this and done this for real, if I take somebody like a Stitch Fix versus a uh, a large uh, a Nordstrom in the U.S., which which is a, a luxury department store, Nordstrom sells me clothing. Stitch Fix says I'm going to give you a personal stylist, and the clothing will come out of the of the stylist's uh, recommendations for you because they know that you're really seeking to express your style. You're not, you're not really seeking the clothing. The clothing is a transactional purchase that you make at the end of it. Now, I have loyalty to Stitch Fix. They understand me so deeply, speaking of personalization. They know my personal style. They can give me an experience that's much different than Nordstrom that only knows that I, I bought this pant and I bought this shirt and I bought this belt you know, uh, along the way. And there's example after example of, of the winners in digital building for the seeker, not the right. customer. Got it. So that's interesting. So my, my question then is, can anyone build their site or their 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 um, their store right for the seeker? You know, and and the answer to that is yes, and really? that's what and that's what's amazing is yeah. it used to be that that this kind of these kind of digitally innovative ideas were the province of Silicon Valley and 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 you know technology startups. But it's not anymore. And, and you know, let's take let's take some you know classical businesses. If we in yeah. Europe if we were to take somebody like NHS Digital, which yeah. is a which you know very well in the UK, mm -hmm. uh, you know, public sector hardly you would say the most innovative uh, you know uh, entity in the world. Yeah. And yet, you know, they built something that I think is very much serving the seeker, which is which is called a symptom checker. And what it is is it's an application where you know. Uh, you're at you're at night. Your child is sick. You're trying to figure out if you should rush to the emergency room or not. You can go take the app, plug in the symptoms, and it will at least give you a sense of whether this is an urgent care situation or whether or not this is something that I can just treat treat with an Advil or a or an ibuprofen or something of that type. And so it's it is built for the seeker because it's not trying to give you you know medical advice on the spot. What it's trying to do is reassure you as a parent in the middle of the night that you either have somebody who is really sick or somebody who is, you know, can be treated okay and you, you shouldn't panic. And that reassurance is actually what you're seeking. You know, if I were to give you one more, one more example from Europe, um, it would be, it would be a, a football team, Bayern Munich, which is a Bloomreach client uh, as well, like NHS Digital. And, and Bayern Munich, you would say, is a local soccer team. So if they were thinking about customers, they would say, well, my, my customers are fans of, of, of the soccer team. But in reality, what they realize is they have millions of fans across the world, yeah. all of whom want to virtually experience a football game, many of whom can't make it to Allianz Stadium. And so they create this digital experience that includes virtual reality, where I can pretend I'm my favorite player, I can buy the jersey, I can, I can transact online, I can receive a personalized experience, I can pretend I'm at the game, all these things. And in effect, Bayern Munich has understood that indeed they're actually more like a media company than they are a football team. Yeah, and they've built a digital experience accordingly. So, yeah. absolutely, like we've seen incredible successes from all kinds of organizations that maybe would not you you would not put at the top of the list as the yeah. most innovative commerce entities.
Yeah, that's that's what I was thinking about. I don't know, maybe highly commoditized brands or, you know, like your your tool company. You know, I mean, do, do you think it is genuinely something that every type of vertical, you know, within e-commerce should be looking at because of that importance of the seeker to the customer differential? I do. I, I yeah. do and I think you can ask a few questions and it's all about the whys. Why yeah. is someone buying my product or my yeah. brand? For what purpose? What underlying human uh, condition or or impetus or desire is it is it catering to? Mm -hmm. And then you know, and and the book outlines this in great detail. Is it's it's not intended to be a theoretical book. It's intended to be a, a practical book, yeah. and it's a practical book because it lays out the playbook, which mm -hmm. starts fundamentally with understanding who your seeker is. Mm -hmm. And there's a number of techniques to do that. And then it moves into, well, all right, now that I understand the seeker, what technology do I need to put in place in order to serve that seeker? And finally, what do I need to do in my own organization? Who do I need to hire? How do I need to constitute my team? What business model do I, do I put forward? How do I think about capital? What are all the organizational constructs that I need to put in place to deliver a great experience to the seeker? So I've always thought about it as it's really th a three-part problem understand the seeker, build the technology for the seeker, and then build the organization to serve that seeker in the long term. Yeah, really interesting. I think that book is is, is going to be pretty cool. And uh, I'm, I'm going to try and get hold of it, I think. <laughs> but um, for sure. no, it's really interesting. And, and, and you, you're kind of reminding me in some respects of, of going back to the nuts and bolts of, of segmentation, really, in many ways, right? I mean, you're looking at providing a, a better experience for a certain cohort of people well actually they are still seeking right i mean when when i'm a bargain hunter i'm seeking the experience of finding cheap stuff that i can buy right that that that's the experience if i'm if i'm a vip i want to be i want to have an experience where i feel special when i engage with your site so in many ways it's 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 a little bit similar isn't it that the whole idea of personalization is to try and provide the best experience, not just chucking products at somebody, but content, banners, the whole kit and caboodle, if you like, when you're engaging with the site. Um, and one of the things uh, that's reminded me of is something that Segmentify has recently um, uh, developed is this concept of the journey builder, which yep. reminds me again of what you've just been talking about, where the customer is, is, is wanting experience. You know, they're going to the pharmacy site because they've got an allergy and they, they need to find a solution, right? Uh, like the NHS example you put. Yeah. Or, or I am a customer looking for a certain set of criteria in order for me to make a decision on that experience that I receive. So do I want to go and engage with a transactional website to sit through and try and find it? Or can I pre-qualify almost like by a, 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 an entry questionnaire, if you like, Yes. Um, that then pre-qualifies me in terms of exactly what it is I'm looking for. And then the engines then give me the experience I'm looking for. So That's right. that, 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 it just resonates with me. All this stuff that, that we're currently looking at um, completely makes sense and, and aligns with this, this great book that, you, that you've written. Um, Thank you. Yeah. And, you know, and, and in the digital seeker, what what we explore a lot is there are different flavors of personalization and you've just listened.
listed a few of them. There's some where, you know, I just come in the, the, the classical example of people who viewed this, bought this, or some simple yeah. recommendation unit, wisdom of crowds sort mm -hmm. of uh, personalization. And indeed, that's one level of segmentation. Then there's a level of segmentation that, as you say, you know, I, I'm a member of the loyalty program, I'm a VIP, and therefore I get a certain quality of experience. And then there is personalization that comes from my behavior. So I may not have told you I'm a VIP, but because I have bought these really expensive products, you imply from the technology that I'm indeed a VIP and, and that you should treat me in a particular way. And then finally, you might, you might think about what one would call explicit personalization, which is I literally submit a form. And that's what you yeah. do in a case of, of something like a, like a stitch fix where I say, I prefer yeah. this brand, I'm interested in this, I'm interested in that. And I give you these explicit instructions and you factor that into what you provide me. So there's lots of different ways to yeah. sort of understand the seeker and then personalize the experience accordingly. Mm. What's important from that is one, we live in a world of increased data privacy. And so yeah. it's, 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 it's more and more about the individual and consent and, and their consent and then delivering an experience to do so. And number two, I always believe that you, 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 know, you don't just get to take the data and personalize, you have to give value to the customer every step of the way in that journey you, you know, in order to deliver a great personalized experience. You can't simply say, I'll learn all about you and one day I'll give you something amazing. You need to, if I'm gonna get a piece of data from you, I need to return back something of value. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's one of the key things, isn't it? Is that that accuracy and the speed that you're actually learning and then giving that experience back, you know, you can't wait, you know, you've got to do it now, you know, and right. we're, it's fortunate, I suppose, that having segmented by having been born in cybersecurity, you've just, you, you've got no luxury of time or right. information. So you right. have to be refining tens of thousands of times a second in order to create that experience that we're talking about, you know? But um, Raj, um, it's been absolutely brilliant talking to you. I really, really enjoyed it. Learned loads. And, you know, um, it's fantastic to have somebody with such a, um, such amazing experience to be able to offer um, the guys that are watching and listening. So thank you so much. It's been, it's been brilliant. Thank you, Bill. I enjoyed it as well. Yeah, no, not at all. T tell the guys the best way to get hold of you for the book, just having a chat with you, the team, if they're interested in your solutions. Yeah, so bloomreach.com, B-L-O-O-M-R-E-A-C-H.com. That, that gives, us, get, that gives uh, anybody who's interested in the platform um, sure. a good sense of the platform. And on yeah. the book itself, you can just go to Amazon and you can search for The Digital Seeker. And, cool. uh, you know, it's available. Amazing. That sounds great. Um, so, um yeah, the last thing I'd love to ask you, you know, I mean, to ask you, you've 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 imparted quite a bit of wisdom already, right? But if you could just delve into the vaults of of Raj Dadatta, um, from your personal life or your business life, what would you give as a kind of gold nugget to all the guys that are listening and watching to take away with? Yeah, well, well, look, I I think you know as it relates to e-commerce, yeah, we're we're in the um, we're in the adolescent stage of e-commerce. So we've got you know an industry now that's 15 to 20 years old, which is still very young. You think about every 15 to 20 year old you know in your life. That's yeah. a, that's about the level of maturity of e-commerce. So we're in early innings yeah. of, of this ride. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so if you're in this industry, 
in some shape or form, working in technology, working at, at a brand, working uh, anywhere in the industry. Hmm. I think um, we're in for for just the golden era of what's going to happen. And and I encourage you know everybody to remember that the first 20 years were simply about doing e-commerce. The next 20 years are going to be about standing out from the crowd yeah. and, and really understanding what makes your experience particularly special that gives a consumer or a customer a really good reason to come shop with you. And that, that, that means going beyond the ability to just simply do e-commerce, but to really uh, you know, offer the kind of magical experience that, that allows you to stand out. Yeah, totally. I think, like you, like you say, I think we, we still see that personalization. You're still talking about like the tip of the iceberg. That the That's real, right. it's not, you know, like we say, it's not product recs and on site search and merchandising. It's so, so much deeper than that. And uh, right. as, as the market progresses, it's only going to become more and more important that um, the boundaries are pushed, right? In terms of, like you say, differentiating and getting ahead. Um, as what we've seen so far, you know. But um, yeah. um, thank you so much for that, uh, that advice. And um, thank you everyone for listening. I hope you've enjoyed it. I certainly have had a great time. And uh, just remains for me to say that um, if you haven't already, um, please do uh, go over to segmentedby.com forward slash EGS and you'll pick up all the episodes there, including Raj's. And, uh, and if you sign up, then you'll get all the, the different um, uh, shows that come out. And uh, the other thing just to say is if you're interested in getting involved or you've got any things that you want us to research or talk about in the future, or you want to be on the show, uh, give us a shout anytime at phil at segmentedby.com. But uh, thank you so much, Raj, again for your time. Thanks, Phil. Appreciate it. No worries. And uh, hopefully I get to speak to you again another time. And uh, thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Take care and uh, God bless.